0: Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today, I'm super excited to have Amir Salihafendik on the show. He's the founder and CEO of Doist, which you probably know from their super popular products, Todoist and Twist. And I'm really excited about this conversation because Amir and his team have taken a totally different approach to building their company than the VC-backed one that I know best. So today we cover how to build boats for your products and company, distribution channels, changing distribution models in the B2B space, how to exist in hyper-competitive spaces like the one Todoist is in, and we even get into a bit about low-end disruption. So I hope you enjoy it. Well, Amir, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: It's awesome to be here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what I want to talk about today is really building moats. I think it's really easy, especially as a product person, to think that if you just build the best product out there, that that's going to be enough, that people are going to show up, and that people will, more importantly, stay once they're in. But as we talked about before, you can have a perfect product for six months, maybe a year, then the market starts to change or your competitors catch up, and all of a sudden that moat that you thought you had has started to erode. And you guys over at Duist are in a really competitive space. And I'm just curious how you've thought about kind of building moats. What's the framework that you've been using with your team on how to kind of build and maintain that position in the market?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, honestly, like I think moats can be a lot of things. So you can also layer them on top of each other. For instance, like network effects, that's basically a very strong mode. I think also brand is another one. And distribution as well. So for instance, like having high ranking on like google play store or like google search engine is quite a strong mode but of course like also some modes are you know not that stable as others so for instance like ranking could be very easily like removed if google changes their ranking algorithms so as a product person i think honestly like this is something that is very important to think about and basically think about like what is your mode and can you actually also have multiple modes and kind of like layered them on top of each other so for our products for instance for today's like the brand itself i think is a very strong uh, mode at this point like we are very well known and that has taken us many years to build i don't think that features or like even the product itself or the tech maybe they use are very strong modes because you know you can easily be copied by others especially like you know, other startups that have more capital or big companies such as Microsoft or whatever.
0: Right. So when you guys started out, were you specifically thinking about, okay, we're entering this market. How do we defend our slice of it, our territory, like via using things like brand and network effects? Or is that something that you kind of learned over time?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I need to go back in time and think about like how I thought about this. But honestly, like in the beginning, in the early beginning, I just thought about creating a product that I wanted to use myself. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the motivation. So I didn't really think that much about like modes or like distribution strategy or even like product strategy in general. And there's been something like as you go along and you learn, you know, more things and think deeper about stuff, then you figure out like this is actually really critical.
0: So if you were to go back, do you think if you were to start, you know, another business or now that you have twist, is that something that you start you thought about from the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think like one of the central pieces of many things, especially at the start, is kind of like figuring out the distribution channel and this distribution mm-hmm. strategy. So like regardless, like if you actually have like a, a really, really great product, like if you don't have a distribution for it, like it will go nowhere. So that's probably where I would start. And then also maybe think about like, you know, what is actually your like core value that you're providing and how is that different from others? And can you actually defend that? So for instance, for Twist, just like the way that we actually market it and position it is very different from any other app on the market, like this asynchronous, mindful communication app. You know, there's not many others that do that. And maybe like if we have actually you know just cloned Slack and did another Slack, we would get nowhere. Those would be like the two things. It's kind of like you know what makes you different, and also how are you going to gain users or get this distributed? And you know after you have figured it out, then maybe like think about how you are going to defend like this position you, that you have created.
0: Yeah, because I would imagine that over time, you know, it's one thing to sort of look at the market and say, okay, this is the space we see. This is how we think we're going to be differentiated. You know, this is going to be our distribution channel that we start with. But then I'm assuming you can't just kind of set it and forget it. Right. Like you have to check back in and and keep thinking about whether that's working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think like this is a never ending. Thing Like it's not something that you said in the beginning and just like, uh, you know, let it be for a long time. I think it's something that you actually need to think about deeply as you go along. And also just, you know, you need to take a pulse on the market and the user reception and stuff like that and figure that out and then maybe like evaluate and change your strategy based on that.
0: So with your business, though, that you haven't taken any venture money. So how have you approached distribution channels? Because I think that's, to me, it would seem um, Drift where I work, we went the venture funded route. So I would imagine that has a lot of impact on how we think about distribution. So curious to hear how you thought about that, given the different approach that you guys have taken.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, for us, uh, like, we actually do zero ads, zero paid ads, or maybe we do some now. I'm actually unsure. But like, our strategy has never been like advertisement is more like world of mouth mm-hmm. growth and just like growing, you know, organically. And this is definitely like a, a much harder strategy to pull out, but the unit economics is are much, much better when you get that working. But I think it's probably much harder than, you know, just like spending millions on ads or like building a big uh, sales force as like a bootstrap route, that is maybe like the only option you have because you can't really compete against, you know, companies that have like hundreds of millions in venture financing, you know, it's not really feasible.
0: Right. So then how did you get off the ground? Like, what was the first way? Obviously, I think once you have some kind of like initial amount, you can start to build that word of mouth. And hopefully, you know, you mentioned network effects. Hopefully there's some kind of network effect that's built into your product that helps drive that. But I'm curious, like, how did you get that started?
1: I mean, when I started out, I had some very important aspects. Like I had a quite like popular blog, you know, not like superstar, but I had like (laughs) thousands of followers that read what I wrote. And that kind of you know created the seed, and then I also was very good at promoting to list. So I am not sure if you remember Dig. It was basically mm-hmm. like a, a site, and you can kind of like read new stuff. It's basically like product hunt, and you know it got featured on Dig. So I got like a lot of users there. I also got some like bloggers to blog about it. So that's how I initially get like some of the core. User base, and then it basically grew from there. That was my strategy. I'm unsure, like if you can actually replicate that now, but maybe you can actually, like, you know, you have like you have product hunt. You can maybe like get thousand people that really love what you do, and you solve a huge problem for them, and that can also like be a huge help on just like you know gaining some initial traction.
0: Yeah, that seems like a more common strategy in sort of a D to C consumer brand where they would get an influencer or someone who has a huge reach to talk about their product as a way to get distribution, or at least to get the word out about their product. But something that I haven't seen, at least that I know about as much in B2B.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I think like the B2B space is changing as well. And you can see this on like some of the most popular apps right now, such as like Zoom or or Slack, you know, they can both be used by consumers and businesses. The strategy is basically to get like some individuals using it. And then after you have like a critical mass, you get like the business to adopt the the solution. So I think even like for the best like B2B software, they kind of like need to have a single player mode or like a few player mode that is kind of great and then can easily give them some traction. Inside businesses. So, I don't think actually the strategy where you just have like a pure B2B play and you have like a huge sales force selling into businesses will actually work in the future because I think it's way too expensive. And you're also like, if you compete with somebody that has like the strategy of like Zoom, you know, where you can basically go in and sign up as a consumer and use the product, I think you, like you will have a huge problem competing against that.
0: Yeah, that's true. I could definitely see how. The cost of setting up that sort of enterprise sales motion is pretty high, especially if you're trying to sell into those companies. And then there's someone who's cheap, who's quick, who has an amazing user experience that's kind of from the bottoms up taking over that space. I want to dig in a little bit on network effects because I think that's something that I hear all the time as something you should have in your business. People talk about virality and I'm just curious if that was something that you thought about intentionally as you were building either Todoist or Twist, or if that was something that kind of came more organically for you.
1: Something to note is like, I actually co-founded Social Network and we grew like, I think, to over 10 million users in like a matter of six months. And this is like purely by like viral growth. When I personally like, experienced and like seeing how... Like uh, effective this can be for just like generating growth and it's like all organic, and you basically don't really spend much on that, other than like just have sleepless nights because you must kind of keep the service running. (laughs) So that is something like I deeply think about. And on today's side, we are actually going to do some critical changes to actually promote more of the network effects of sharing stuff, sharing projects, sharing tasks, collaborating. There's like multiple reasons why this is a really good idea. First of all, like you get growth. People invite other people, that invite other people. That's virality, and it's free growth. I think also like the products become much better because they become more useful once you have like a multiplayer mode. And also, I think like you can retain users much more because you have like an organic pullback to the system. So if you just have like one user using a system. You know, it's very hard to get them back, for instance, in is like just spamming a user and saying, like, you know, you have an uncompleted task, like that becomes very annoying, very fast. Mm-hmm. While if you have a coworker that adds a task to you, you know, like you will actually go in and respond to that or complete it. So th- the whole dynamic is very, very different. So that's, you know, something that we think about. And then twist is just like a pure, like network play because... Twist is kind of useless without other users, without collaboration. The problem with Twist is really that it's not very viral because you will just invite your own coworkers. So, you know, the spread stops quite fast and there's like no real like collaboration between like people in different organizations. On today's, I think like the network effects are much stronger because you can basically like share a project with almost anybody. You can invite anybody inside a project. So the spread is much, much bigger. you know. Even with like Twist, I think you can still build very strong modes in this market because probably like if you have your whole company using a communication tool like Twist or Slack or whatever, it's very hard to actually go and replace it with something else. So those are some, some of my thoughts on like network effects and how to do that. And, and honestly, I think like there's a lot of knowledge about this as well. So a few weeks ago, I read like the network effects Bible which is basically like going deep into all kind of network effects that uh, exist. And also, you know, some things that people think are network effects aren't really network effects.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious, you mentioned last time we talked about who had really done a great job with Moats. So curious to hear from you kind of today, like who do you think is the best at doing this kind of thing?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think like some of the standard companies so for instance coca-cola like they have an amazing mode i mean they're basically selling like a commodity which is you know sugar water right it would be very very hard to actually replace them and also you know the whole branding of them like is very strong just like the whole like logo and like mm-hmm. the bottle itself and stuff like that maybe like the inspiration can be received from like not tech, but like really old school company that have existed for many years and will probably exist for many more years and that are basically like selling commodities. Like Nike is another example of this Mm -hmm. uh, brand mode. In in technology, you know, I think basically like probably the the best at this is Facebook. I mean, they are masters of, of this and Facebook, I think, will be here for a long long time because of the like network effects mode they have built so those would probably be like two examples of like strong technology modes and and also like just regular market modes the problem with this is also i think we have like huge problem in our current markets is basically we have like these huge companies for instance you know microsoft that actually own huge distribution channels and you know can replicate almost any tech that others have and in these type of markets i think it's actually very hard to to compete so for instance slack you know even with a like a very strong brand very strong like market pool has been very hard pressed to actually build a mode that's defendable Mm -hmm. but maybe there's still like hope like zoom is showing us that it's actually possible to do that but you know like i think it's really difficult yeah
0: yeah i was thinking about that and whether there was a a sort of different strategy, which is, okay, you know, I'm in a market that's pretty competitive. There's obviously big players who could decide to come over and build the thing I'm building. And maybe instead of trying to build a moat, what I do is just aggressively outbuild those companies because I'm nimble, I'm faster, I'm smaller, and I can attack this user problem quicker than they can. That seems like One of the only options that I can think of off the top of my head about how you might be able to be successful if you're in that space, at least to start.
1: Yeah, I think the problem with that strategy is if you actually become a priority for like Microsoft, uh, then, you know, you will not be able to uh, outbuild them. Right. (laughs) Because (laughs) they will basically say like, you know, we have like 5,000 people, let's build Slack. And that's basically what it did. Like, I think they... Right, with Teams. Yeah, like they tried to buy Slack, Slack, didn't want to sell. And then they basically assembled a huge team that copied Slack in a matter of a year or six months. So, yeah, that's basically the, the market we are part of right now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. But I, I mean, what's also interesting is that, of course, it doesn't stop people from still trying to enter that market, right?
1: Yeah. And honestly, you can actually build like strong brands and be associated with a specific thing where, you know, Microsoft will not be able to compete against you. And I think like Facebook is probably the best example of this because like Google had thrown a lot of resources into copying them with like Google Plus and they didn't achieve anything with that. So, you know, maybe there's still like the light at the end of the tunnel, but I think it's very difficult to do that. Yeah.
0: Have you seen any or heard of any sort of newer companies outside of Slack who are doing this type of thing really well?
1: Honestly, I think like what is happening on like the design market is very, very interesting right now. So you have like Figma, you know, you have Sketch and they're kind of like really competing against Adobe, Mm -hmm. who is having a very hard time actually competing back. I would probably say like those two companies are, are really doing a great job like that I can see.
0: Yeah. Why do you think Adobe is having that trouble? I would assume that it would be similar to the example we were just talking about, which is like, okay, Microsoft decides that they want to build the thing and they go in and build it. You'd think that Adobe would be able to, at least by now, have caught up.
1: Yeah. Some of these companies are better run than others. So, you know, I'm actually not sure how good Adobe company it is, but maybe they are struggling more than Microsoft is to actually go in and, like, compete against this. Or maybe it's still not, like, a huge priority for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's very hard to know, you know, what is the exact reason. And maybe it's also a good pro- problem to have. Like, who wouldn't want to be a Slack? Like, Slack is still, like, a, you know, multi-billion dollar yeah. company. So it's not, <laughs> it's not really a bad Yeah, it's not a bad have, problem. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that my brain just immediately goes to the low-end disruption model. And, you know, if I was Adobe, I feel like I would be constantly paranoid about who are the sort of low-end cheaper alternatives that are entering my market. How do I keep an eye on them? And so it feels crazy to me when something like Envision or Sketch or Figma or whatever shows up in a market, you'd think that they would be immediately paranoid about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they probably are. I would expect they are paranoid. But... I still think like some of these companies that like new and try to do new stuff. I mean, for instance, like Figma is a great example. Like it's very, very different from anything that that Adobe is doing from what I know. And the whole like tech environment is very different. It's kind of like design in a browser. You know, it's very collaborative, Mm -hmm. very uh, modern. Maybe they are also like more focused on like desktop apps and like old school technology that's done to build those kind of apps and not really so much on like these super collaborative online apps. So maybe they are distributed, not distributed, they are disrupted in this way because their tech is kind of like old school. Yeah, it's a very interesting problem. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing can be said with Zoom going in and, like, competing against, like, Microsoft and Google and actually beating them <laughs> while, like, Microsoft and, and Google have had, like, their own, like, apps for many years. They have just not been very good. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think it's hard, right? Like, the bigger your company gets, the harder it is to disrupt yourself and to to even imagine what it would be like to sort of switch what you're building I definitely have felt stuff like that at Drift, and we're not even that big, and we've decided to, you know, here and there to switch things up. And it's really hard to kind of shift your company. There's a lot of inertia, so I can imagine that's even many, many factors harder at a company as big as Google or Microsoft.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare for them. And honestly, like, on our end, like to do this is like a very, very old product. And mm-hmm. if we had to start from scratch, we would probably take like many different approaches to the solutions that we have right now. And, like, changing this right now is very hard. Like, even if we actually do a small change, it's better. Like, we get a lot of, like, pushback and slash back from users. And I can even, like, imagine changing Photoshop or, like, you know, Illustrator and <laughs> a whole different, yeah. like, people would really be pissed about that. So <laughs> I definitely yeah. feel them. And, and, you know, that's also, I think, the major opportunity that we have as, like, new companies and startups, basically, we can start from scratch or like we can change stuff. Uh, so also the, the more users you have, the more problems you have as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess sometimes it's a good problem to have that you're, you're smaller and more flexible.
1: Exactly. And honestly, like also for us, like, you know, changing something is like really, really hard. We have a lot of data, you know, and uh, bigger teams and stuff like that. So like when we were like 10 people, you know, you would just go into the database and directly apply like the change <laughs> and just go right. on to the next thing. And right now it's kind of like a week, you know, where you need to collaborate and like coordinate and like make sure you're not breaking anything and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. All right. I could definitely spend all day talking about this, but we're running out of time. So Amir, I just have one last question, which is, is there anything that you are reading or listening to that has you like inspired right now or that you find is particularly interesting?
1: I think podcasts are an amazing thing. So I listen to a lot of those. And just like listening people talk and talk about issues, uh, talk about solutions, and maybe not only focus on on, on tech is really, really inspiring. And I can like maybe just take a look at my phone and recommend a few that I listen to.
0: Yeah. What are your top subscriptions?
1: Something I really enjoy is like Barnum Street, Mm -hmm. Shane Parrish, he has an amazing podcast. It's called The Knowledge Project, and I also like enjoy uh, Sam Harris's Making Sense for like more tech-oriented stuff. I really like Lex Friedman's Artificial Intelligence, and also like on network effects. There's also actually a podcast called NFX Podcast where they actually go deep into like network effects and like everything related to them, and it's actually really insightful to listen to these.
0: Yeah, those are great. I think on the network effects, the one that sticks out to me is Stratechery. I think their podcast Exponent had a lot of good episodes on network effects. And I know he has a new one that I think it's like the daily or something that I've been meaning to check out too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Ben Thompson's work. Yeah. And yeah, I've, there's like so much great stuff there. And it's amazing. It's just like one person living in Taiwan I that's know. Like <laughs> really, uh, writing that. So
0: yeah well amir thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it and you taking the time to chat
1: well thank you maggie for having me here it was awesome and i also hope you know i share some stuff especially how we think like about like these hard topics such as like modes network effects in your product strategy
0: yeah it was awesome